and we are live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Jonathan Kogan. I need to start off with something very important, okay? Very, very important. Unfortunately, Facebook doesn't let us back on, but whatever. We don't really care. So um, we're on Twitter, at Kogs, K-O-G-Z. We're on Rumble, the Ownership Economy Channel, the Jonathan Kogan Show on YouTube, getting some some really good stuff today. So this is going to be a really, really good one. Uh, so my podcast yesterday, very interesting. I got a text message from someone who, according to the text messages, I haven't talked to in four years. Okay, let's let's call him Carlos Pierre Donacito the third. Okay, Carlos for short. Carlos said he listened to the podcast yesterday, and his takeaway was that I hate Jews and that Jews run the world. Basically, okay. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, and we'll get to the second part with the whole George Soros thing. But I don't, so I, I can't believe that was the takeaway because my whole point of the podcast, maybe this is why when I think of what I think is a funny joke at the beginning is not so funny, um, is the whole point was, is that if Jews did run the world, then this podcast would be number one because I am Jewish. And that if Jews ran the world, I would have more power. And because this podcast isn't number one and I have no fucking power whatsoever, it's that Jewish people, I don't, I, I, I can't say 100% they don't run the world, but that there are people of all religions and backgrounds and everything that run the world. But you can't say 100% that squirrels don't run the world. 100% that some AI intelligence doesn't run. Nobody can say with 100% that someone does run the world or that someone doesn't run the world because no one knows the answer. Okay? Life is a Merkle tree. All right? And everything has probabilities. So the probability of foxes running the world is not zero. It's just very small. So I can't say for sure foxes don't run the world. But the purpose of the joke was was 100% leaning towards the opposite of, of that was that they don't run the world because if they did, then this podcast would obviously be number one and like not Joe Rogan because he's not Jewish and that's not the case. So then that means therefore the Jews don't run the world. But then if someone comes down and goes, all right, tell me for 100% certainty that this group of people or that group of people don't run the world. Well, 100% certainty. I can't give you 100% certainty on pretty much anything. Okay. Very little, very little, hundred percent certainty. And if that makes you upset that I can't give a hundred percent certainty on anything or on, on, on who runs the world, well then please let me know with a hundred percent certainty who does run the world because I'm dying to know that answer with a hundred percent certainty. Please let me know. And if you don't know with a hundred percent certainty of who does run the world, then you can't tell me with a hundred percent certainty who doesn't run the world. But the truth is, here's my real take on who runs the world to get down to it. I believe the, the world is run by about 12 powerful families. Okay. And now we're on the topic of being Jewish. Some of those families are Jewish, the Rothschilds, and some are not Jewish, the Rockefellers. And more of these 12 families than not are actually not Jewish. It has nothing. The point is, it has nothing to do with their religion, the fact that they run the world. It's the fact that they've had all the money for the past 500 years. They've lent it out to both sides of every war. So like if Germany wins or if the U.S. wins or Great Britain, it doesn't matter because they were funding. The Rothschilds are funding both sides of the war. They're the ones who truly control the global financial markets. 
the Central Bank of England. That is a Rothschild's bank. Okay, that is history. All right. And the famous quote with Henry Kissinger, the last part of it is control the money, control the world. Okay. But the Rockefellers, Christian, I believe, maybe Catholic, are gigantic players of running the world, if not the most uh, powerful family of them all. Okay. I mean, he was a billionaire in like 1909 or something like, like, like a, not, not in today's terms. Like he was actually a billionaire then when things cost like a nickel. That's insane. That's insane. Like in today's terms, I believe he was worth like $700 billion, something crazy. Like, and now we got, and then I, then I play uh, George Soros 60 minutes about how he helps confiscate stuff from the Jews. So yes, George Soros was born Jewish, but that has nothing to do with whether he's a good person or not. Okay. Because Bill Gates. Okay. Let me tell you something about George Soros. Okay. He doesn't even identify as being Jewish. He is atheist. Okay. And I have nothing, I have nothing against atheists or any of that. Okay. But I talked shit about George Soros because George Soros could be any religion or 900 religions or a combination of religions. And he is still equally one of the worst people to ever walk the face of this earth. He is a terrible person. He collapses currencies in for countries and destroys this, destroys civilization. Again, on the 60 minutes, he's confiscated. If you think that Hitler and the Nazis are bad, which they were, then you should not like people who worked with them to confiscate the property from the Jews. George Soros happens to be one of those people. And you go, oh, but don't say that he's Jewish. Well, it has nothing to do with that. He just chose to do a bad thing. Let's put the religion aside. George Soros as the human is terrible. Okay, ready? Bill Gates is not Jewish. He is equally as bad as George. He's worse than George Soros. He is a terrible human being. Bill Gates is a awful human being, and he has nothing to do with being Jewish. He is terrible. We assess people on their actions. I do not give a shit what your religion is. You should be able to practice whatever religion you want, and no one should be able to control that freedom of religion all the way. So George Soros being bad is the same thing as me saying Bill Gates is being bad. But just because one is Jewish, I, I, why can't I say it has nothing to do with that? He did terrible thing. He's ruined civilization for many countries. He's trying, he's been trying to take down Hungary forever. He hates humans. All of his actions map to hating humans. Bill Gates, literally, we want to talk about like colonizing places, how like, oh, the colonizers feel guilty and how bad that was all those years. Bill Gates is colonizing Africa. Okay. That is what he's doing. He is a bio, biomedical industrial complex, horrible human being that he's just trying to, in his plans for Agenda 2030, in his own documents of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they want you to get 500 vaccines between now and 2030. Okay? Those are just facts. All right? Now, maybe you think that's a good thing, and that's fine if you believe that that's a good thing. I personally don't want 500 of anything injected into me. I don't even care if it's protein. I don't want 500 of anything. I'm down to just eat food like we normally eat food, not from factories, from farms, and just live a normal life, okay? So I'm not, I, I don't know how, uh, okay, whatever. If my last podcast was taken that somehow I hate Jews, that's preposterous. I'm Jewish. Therefore, I'm obsessed with Jews. I love Jews because I am in itself selfish. And for the Jews to thrive, Jonathan Kogan thrives. But seriously, I don't hate any group of people, but I don't know how that, that became the takeaway. And then on the George Soros thing, it has nothing to do with he's Jewish. He's a terrible human. Terrible. Awful. Terrible. Okay? Terrible. Bill Gates, terrible. Oh, my God. Bill Gates isn't Jewish. Okay. It has nothing to do with the religion. Their actions just suck. They're awful. Okay? So I'm sorry. 
if that came off that I hate Jews. I would love to hear from more of you if that last podcast came off as hate Jews because the joke was really the opposite. It was actually, I was trying to get off the opposite, which is ironic that that's the podcast I was taking the wrong way with all these 126 very controversial podcasts that are all based on truth, that that was the one that was uh, um, taken poorly. But no, 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 no. Of course I don't hate, how can I hate Jews? I, my whole family's Jewish. Like what? That's insane. Um, but uh, again, are there, there's 12 families that run the world. Some are Jewish, some are not. The fact they run the world has nothing to do with whether they're Jewish or not Jewish. It has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with the fact that they financially run the global markets. They own the central banks. They lend money to all sides when the wars happen. And so therefore they cannot lose. Learn history. That's a fact. Okay. That's a fact. Rockefellers, not Jewish. Rothschilds, Jewish, both equally run the world. Doesn't matter that they're what religion they practice. That's the point. Now, very big episode today. Good stuff. Some truth. And it's seeping from all ends. You're probably noticing the truth coming out more and more, even though we've been beating this drum for the better part of a year on the mRNA vaccines. And uh, I probably shouldn't have said that, but whatever, because I think we're on YouTube and we're going to get a strike. It's not going to be good, but uh, whatever. We're not going to self-censor. So this is a, this is a legitimate interview. Okay. This is Dr. Asim Maholtra, who uh, is a world-renowned cardiologist uh, out of the UK. Uh, was actually um, uh, on Good Morning Great Britain when people were hesitant to uh, to uh, get the inoculation. He was telling people how you know you should get it. It's not, and he got it himself. And now he's gotten more information. He's wrote some papers, and he has went on with Tucker Carlson to talk about his findings. And this is going to blow your socks off. I mean, if you've been listening to this for a long time, then you know the truth. And this uh, this won't be that weird. By the way, we might disconnect them in five seconds here, but don't worry. I'll be coming right back on on the other side. But I'm going to play this video from Tucker Carlson today with Dr. Asim Maholtra in about 30 seconds. And you take you take your own takeaway. All right, we are back. Sorry about that hiccup. Sometimes really bad internet. It's really sad. I got to get that fixed. But let's play this video again. Dr. Asima Holtra, world-renowned cardiologist, uh, talking to Tucker Carlson on Tucker Carlson Today. This is going to absolutely blow your socks off. If you're not watching on YouTube or uh, um, uh, Rumble, then you're going to hear the audio shortly. But uh, again, if you want to see the live video, please go to those channels or go to Twitter at KOGZ. All right, here we go. Dr. Asima Holtra, take it away. We looked at data from earlier this year during the wave of Omicron in the UK from January onwards for three months. Wait for this. If you're over 80 for Omicron, you have to vaccinate 7,300 people to prevent one COVID death. And then it just goes into, it becomes ridiculous. As in, the younger you get, the more people you have to vaccinate. So the question then is, what are the harms and on what quality of evidence? On the best quality evidence, something called randomized control trial data, a number of scientists, uh, Robert Kaplan from Stanford, Peter Doshi, the associate editor of the BMJ, Joseph Freeman, lead author I've spoken to, works um, in New York, and he's uh, involved in research in, in one of the ERs there. They were able to get access to Pfizer and Moderna's original trials and new data. So let's just put this in perspective. These are the trials that led to the approval of the vaccines in the first place, okay, based upon this data that was done by Pfizer and Moderna. They found that the risk of having a adverse event from the original trials, disability, life-changing event, hospitalization, 
was higher than being hospitalized with COVID. So serious adverse, uh, adverse event from the vaccine, there was a higher risk in the original trials of it causing a problem than it was you were to be hospitalized. So in other words, in layman's terms, it's more dangerous to take the vaccine than not. For most people, that's what we've concluded. That's what I've concluded. That's how it appears. And that rate, um, Tucker, is at least one in 800, because this is from Pfizer and Moderna's own trials. W- one serious adverse event per 800 people. So can I just ask a very bitter question? We've had those trial data since the beginning, correct? We have. Right. Yes. So why, you know, we're moving on two years now. Yes. So why am I just hearing this for the first time? Because it's not getting publicized. So they publish this data in the peer-reviewed journal Vaccine. So this is good quality. This is the highest quality level of data you can ever have. And then you back it up with VAERS in this country, yes. yellow card system in UK. I've looked at that. This is unprecedented, right? And just historically, okay, just to put things in perspective, in 1976, the swine flu vaccine was suspended because it was found to cause Guillain-Barre syndrome, yes. a, a neurological condition, in one in 100,000 people. The rotavirus vaccine in 1999 was suspended because it caused a form of bowel obstruction in kids in one in 10,000. We've got a serious adverse event rate of at least one in 800. And now since that's evolved, I, when I looked at this research, in the UK, we've had a massive increase in out cardiac arrests. Israel were able to find that there was a link between the mRNA vaccines and a 25% increase in cardiac arrests and heart attacks in people aged between 16 and 40 that was associated with the vaccine, but not with COVID. So it's, it's a no-brainer. So I came out and I published this, these findings and I said, for me, it needs to be suspended pending an inquiry. Nobody would be taking, in my view, this vaccine. The question is, how did this all happen? And the only way to really explain it is to take a step back. I'm a root cause guy, right? So you talk about the evidence-based medicine triad, you look at evidence, you go back, right? So what, what, what are clear hard facts to try and understand this? One is drug companies have a fiduciary legal obligation to produce profit for their shareholders. They do not have a legal obligation to give you the best treatment. But the real scandals are these. Regulators fail to prevent misconduct by industry. Right. And that doctors, academic institutions, and medical journals collude with industry for financial gain. Let's talk about the regulator. You may come back to me and to say... To the detriment of public health. I mean, that's the shocking part. It's not just, you know, if you and I are working our scam or whatever, and we're getting rich, but we're not killing people, you know, okay. But people are dying. Like, what? I know. So how do we explain it? Well, first of all, as you may know, the FDA gets 65% of their funding from pharma. Huge conflict of interest. In the UK, our regulator, the MHRA, gets 86% of their funding from pharma. So that's a big problem. And what normally happens is um, these trials where the, so the, you know, Pfizer designed the trial. They did their own analysis. They hold on to what we call the raw data, which is often tens of thousands of pages on information on every patient involved in the trial, what was happening to them, did they really check side effects properly, et cetera. They then give summary results to the regulator who then approves it, right? But but may I ask a dumb question? Why wouldn't the regulator, since he's making a decision for a country of 340 million people, demand all the data? So they get the data, but they they probably don't spend time analyzing it properly. And I think also the problem is, as well as is financial conflicts of interest, um, Tucker. So we know, for example, in the FDA, which in 2006 and 2019, nine of the 10 FDA commissioners went on when they left the FDA to get very lucrative jobs with the pharmaceutical industry. It's a revolving door. I think this is 
a combination of financial conflicts of interest and, to be honest, Tucker, downright incompetence as well, right? Because this data is very clear. They should have suspended this. To be, to be perfectly honest with you, with what I've seen now, I think there's more than enough evidence to suggest that Pfizer probably knew, but they don't, they don't really care because they're a profit-making you know, machine, if you like. Um, but it probably should never have been rolled out in the first place. So wanna, how do we... So what is, is it, such a massive statement... That is such a big thing to say. It's just mind blowing. That's why we've been so, that's why this podcast started. It was so mind blowing that this data is so blatant and you got this mainstream media which is lying to people's faces, whether it's for financial gain, whether it's malintent. We don't know what the reason is and we'll probably never know, but it wasn't good. It wasn't for your health. It wasn't for, to keep you safe. It wasn't for your family. No, none of that was true. It was all propaganda. And we've been trying to point that out, trying to spread the truth, just myself and a microphone. And it, he's saying based on the data, and he is a world renowned cardiologist who studies this and, and published a paper on this or many peer review papers on this. Uh, and, and he's not the only one, Dr. P. McCullough, all these world-renowned people, but they're being silenced, okay? This is why censorship's so dangerous, especially when it comes to medical information, okay? Because it on, censorship only leads to tyranny. Show me one society in the history of the world that benefited from censorship. Show me one society in history where the average peasant succeeded because there was censorship to keep them safe. The answer is zero. It was to keep the people in power powerful. It was to get their agenda across, okay? And I don't want to get into the motives, but he's saying based on the data, which, again, I read through the Pfizer documents. I got deleted off YouTube. People left uh, comments um, on my podcast saying, now I can't read Pfizer data, even though I just read it word for word. I was just reading through it to see if it would get, if I would be silenced. I didn't give my opinion. I just read through the documents. And their own documents, based on that data, he is saying he's much more credible than me in this arena is they should have never rolled it out. But to give Pfizer, you know, to, to be a little fair, their, their purpose is to be profit driven. So maybe I get why they would do that. They have a history of being con artists and criminals. They paid the biggest fine in the history of business. That's what they do. We know that Vioxx, all these scandals, right? But where are the regulators that are supposed to be there to protect the average person? Where are the regulators to step up and say, no, we see that you are a profit-driven company and that you're doing this for your bottom line, but our job is to keep our constituents safe. Our job is to protect people in the name of public health, not to defend corporations. But like I played on the last episode in the second part with Brett Weinstein, we have a Democratic Party who has taken the playbook of the Republican Party to serve corporations first. Republicans have historically done this horrible thing democrats starting with the clintons decided to take that same playbook so the general public at least in america and probably all peasants across the world have been abandoned in favor of corporations it's why you're seeing corporations make record profits and you're seeing corporations succeed i mean even though the market the whole economic system is collapsing but they're the ones that are still around still able to produce a profit and mom and pop shops are being closed all over the world at record record speeds okay they're not on our side the people in power Okay, this is not a right versus left. This is elite versus peasant. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're on team peasant. And good news is peasants have never lost. That's why we're still here. We are undefeated. But we need to realize that they are just trying to divide us, whether it's race, whether it's uh, 
just the they're going to amplify things like the ridiculousness that Kanye or that Ye said. You're, they're, anything that causes division and hate, they're going to amplify so that we get mad at each other while they take advantage of the largest wealth transfer in history and suck everything out of the economy before it falls. That's what's going on. So just call out people for being dumb if they're saying dumb shit or whatever, but realize that all of us people, normal people, not celebrities or anything like that, but us, like you and I, are on the same team. We're on the same team. Your political views, my political views mean nothing. Our religions mean nothing. Our races mean nothing in this context. None of it. Okay? We're humans and we want to thrive. We want to feed our families. We want our kids to have a better future. That's it. That's the basic. That is it. And we've lost sight of that. And 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 this just this interview is so groundbreaking and so important, and uh, I'll keep playing it, but I had to add that little tidbit. Isn't the veterinarian who runs Pfizer, Albert Borla, why, why hasn't he been punished for this? I don't understand. Well, so, okay, so let's look at the history of, of punishments of pharma and what they've, what they've done over the years. So we know that between 2009, 2014, most of the top 10 drug companies, including Pfizer, Pfizer play, paid fines totaling about $14 billion, most of it in the U.S., for fraud, illegal marketing of drugs and harms. One of the most egregious examples was the Vioxx scandal. Okay, this was Merck, a drug that was marketed as an anti-inflammatory in 1999, supposed to be better than ibuprofen in terms of causing less stomach problems, right? And what they found, ultimately it was pulled, and they, because it was causing heart, it doubled the risk of heart attacks. It's estimated it caused probably the deaths of 60,000 Americans, which is equivalent, I understand, to the amount of Americans that died in Vietnam. I mean, yeah. it's not a small number. 59,000 died in Vietnam. So it's more than were killed over 11 years of the Vietnam War. Just with one drug that, now this is the thing, what's very interesting is um, they were fined. Merck were fined in 2011, following an investigation, um, $950 million. But when one looks at the amount of money they made from the marketing of the drug and all this, what they spent, they probably made a billion dollars in profit, despite this drug, the fact that this drug caused heart attacks and that Merck scientists knew. So when the investigation occurred, looking at the, all the litigation behind the drug, the chief scientist of Merck in an internal email in 2000, in March 2000, essentially said, it's unfortunate about the cardiovascular effects of this drug, but we will do well and the drug will do well. Now, how do, how so do you explain knew, that behavior? They, this is Vioxx, okay? Okay, these are the same people that if I asked you three years ago, oh, you know, is Pfizer of your best intent? You'd be like, no, they're so corrupt. The Vioxx scandal, they knew that they were going to kill people, but because uh, the fine was less than the amount of profit they made, they knew that. that was their, their budget had a budget line. Think of it this way. Their budget had a line in the budget for deaths, for deaths, Okay. For not telling the truth, deaths, not like accident, like we knew this would happen and that, that probably this absurd amount of people are going to die, but the fine will be less than the profit, so we will do fine. That came out from their emails. And then all of a sudden, in the last two years, some people lost their fucking minds and go, yeah, of course they want to save the world. They had a change of heart. They, Of course they want to save you. They want to save millions and billions of people. What are you talking about? They would never do anything bad. This is the same company. I don't know what happened. I mean, I do think I know what happened. I think it's the chaos with Trump made people lose their mind. I don't know. Some people got so obsessed on doing everything opposite, which is crazy because he's the one who brought the vaccine with warp speed. So it really blows your mind when you think about it because he's the one who brought the thing. And yet, 
yet people hate Hammond and don't trust anything he does. But in this particular instance, this is the one thing they do trust, and it's the one thing they shouldn't have trusted. It's bananas. The whole thing's backwards. It's crazy. I am going to say something which may sound very controversial, but is evidence-based. So one looks at the entity, the legal entity that is the corporation. Um, the eminent forensic psychologist, Dr. Robert Hare, who was behind the original uh, international definition of psychopath, okay? in, a, in a book and a documentary by law professor Joel Bacan, he says that these corporations, like Pharma, for example, they often, in the way that they conduct their business, behave like a psychopathic entity, like psychopaths. So what does that mean? Uh, callous disconcern for the safety of others, um, conning others for profit, deceitfulness. You know, they fulfill that criteria. So if one, if with everything I know, taking a step back, trying to understand, hold on a minute, why certainly the U.S. and many other countries around the world, are they, did they mandate, are they pushing the vaccine on kids? I think this is the downstream effect. My hypothesis is this, of a psychopathic entity that has had increasing unchecked visible and invisible power over our lives over the last three decades. I believe that. And I think the only way to address this problem is to tackle it at the root, which is, for example, my solutions are these, some very straightforward, simple ones. Although drug industry can be involved in developing, they shouldn't be allowed to then test them and hold on to the raw data. The regulators shouldn't be funded by industry. Of course not. And politicians should not be money for campaign donations from Big Pharma. One of the primary purposes of government. Extremist, racist, Trump supporter, anti-human person. Did you did you listen to what he's asking for? Did you how unreasonable that is? That is ridiculous. How does he have the audacity to say that politicians shouldn't be taking money? from big pharma because it could influence their decision-making what what is he a moron must be okay let's just go back to the basics is to protect their citizens from external aggressors but also to protect their citizens from disease and to serve the interests of the people and they are not doing that if oh, they are taking money from an entity. Well, that if the is FDA there. gets the majority of its budget from the drug companies like that's just insane the, F- the FDA is the regulatory body that oversee the drug companies. Like, how can that be? So, so one of the reasons this problem persists is because people don't really understand these system failures. I, a few months ago, during a meeting organized by the British Medical Association, gave a talk. And this was before I published my findings. And I, the, the chairman of the British Medical Association was there. He was shocked and gobsmacked when I told him that the MHRA in our country gets 86% of funding from pharma. He didn't know that. So a lot of the people who are making decisions and even pushing, who've been pushing the vaccine, don't understand the system failures that exist already. And one way of describing it is doctors, the general public and patients don't know what's happening and they don't even know that they don't know. And yet there is enough noise on the periphery about the vaccine that any adult with curiosity has to have asked himself at least once, like, what is that? Are these people crazy? Like, what are they talking about? The vaccine has problems. Physicians are paid to be curious. Science is curiosity, of course. And I have to say, with respect to you as a doctor, but I am so distressed by the willingness of smart, well-educated people in the medical profession to go along with this in the face of mounting evidence that they're wrong. Like, what is that? So I think, yeah, it's a a great question. So how do we combat this? 
there are two psychological phenomenons I think are worth mentioning. One is fear. You know, that involved with people, it was devastating. And, and no the doubt. lack of the lack of knowledge about it. Like you didn't know it, it just happened. Absolutely. Like, but fear clouds critical thinking. That's correct. Right? The second phenomenon combating this problem now is called willful blindness. So it's human beings turning a blind eye to the truth in order to feel safe, to avoid conflict, reduce anxiety, and to protect prestige. How do we come to be with cause? And it has to be done, I would say, in a compassionate but courageous way. I have sat with journalists, some of whom who were proponents of even suggesting maybe we should pin down unvaccinated and vaccine, you know, and inject them with the vaccine. And in an hour of a conversation, talking, walking them through it, and also because I had the vaccine, I think that people are maybe more likely to listen to me. Um, that's the way we have to do it. Well, that is so insane to think that far, which is hold people down and force them to get something into their body that they perhaps don't want that doesn't stop the transmission or getting infected. That is like society going absolutely bonkers. That's the most, that is medical tyranny at the highest level. That's crazy. You're obviously, I would say, an acute analyst of systems. Like you think systems, to some extent, determine outcomes. I think you're absolutely right, and you're good at analyzing it. We seem to have a system where prestige, something that every person wants, you just mentioned it as a motivator of human behavior, is tied to agreeing with the group. In science, that's death. That's the end of science. Yeah. You, we have to attach prestige to free inquiry. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point, actually. I'm glad you mentioned that, Tucker, because propaganda, about, so censorship, Fauci, suffocating the other side of an argument, making it seem like the public discourse on the internet is different than in reality because half of the people aren't there <clears throat> kicking people off social media. That's how it happens. It's a false reality, and it worked. That's the scary part. That's why censorship should scare you. It is not for your best interest. It never was. It's for an agenda of other people that are much more powerful than you that do not want to relinquish their power. I don't know what their motives. We're not going to get into that. All I'm saying is censorship is not in the interest of a regular person. And to think it is, is foolish. And the only way you're going to know the truth is when you end up with nothing or in a camp or something crazy, because throughout history, that is the logical succession of things that happen that stem down the stream from censorship. That's just reality. Very harsh, but very real. She, throughout the pandemic, especially in relation to the vaccine, kept using this term, trust the science. Yes. Now, that's one of the most unscientific statements exactly. I've ever heard. Exactly. I kept right? thinking that. Because medicine, first of all, is not an exact science, right? It's an applied science, not like physics or chemistry. Right. And, this, and, it, and the evidence changes. We're taught, for example, that 50% of what you learn in medical school will turn out to be either outdated or dead wrong within five years of your graduation. The trouble is nobody, you have to learn to learn on your own. Right? So that didn't make any sense. So maybe Anthony Fauci doesn't, from my perspective, what I've seen, doesn't seem to have a basic understanding of evidence-based medicine from what I've seen. That's Seems that way to me too. But in reality, and I don't mean that he was deliberately doing this, but in reality, from what we've discussed already, trust the science, in effect, was saying trust the psychopath. Yes. I mean, it's a kind of witchcraft. Trust the science? What does that even mean? Um, 
But that suggests a systemic failure. So if that guy's at the head of the system that we've yes. assembled to combat COVID and you don't have thousands of clinical physicians saying, wait, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. And we did not have thousands saying it. We didn't have, we didn't have dozens saying that. That's a huge problem. Is this a med school problem? No, it's, I think a little bit of the med school problem. I think one of the issues, I mean, I campaigned. Part of it is, and, and to tie this back um, to what I was first was saying about bad people, and it has nothing to do with their religion. It's just to do with the fact that they are so powerful because they have so much money. The Rockefellers, if you learn history, are the ones that took over the medical schools and made supplements and natural therapies like fringe. And, you know, through marketing campaigns and through education, they made it fringe. Like, oh my God, supplements are cons. And that's why it's in our, that's why we trust prescriptions more than like natural stuff that comes from plants because that was part of it because he could put petroleum into medication and make more money through the medical schools because he already had a monopoly on oil throughout everything else. It's crazy, but they took over the medical schools from Rockefeller and the person who was in charge of Rockefeller's uh, philanthropic foundation was a attorney with the last name of Gates, which is very interesting because the closest person to John D. Rockefeller in terms of his business strategy and philanthropic strategy becoming monopolistic is actually Bill Gates, who is also monopolistic in the same way. He literally had a um, the antitrust, the lawsuit with 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 uh, with Microsoft uh, being a monopoly, and then now is owning every part of the science, bio, pharmaceutical, industrial complex system from the media to the vaccine manufacturers to distribution, to the propagate, all of it. He has our, he has acted in the same way that John D. Rockefeller was doing before he died. And I find it so interesting. I, I haven't made the connection yet. If this attorney that ran the uh, 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 philanthropic foundation for Rockefeller's last name was Gates, was related to actually Bill Gates, like his grandfather or something. I don't know yet. I'm going to find out. But they're both named Gates, and they're the two monopolistic people that we know. I just find it very, very interesting. All right, let me get back to it. That was a little tidbit. With the British Medical Journal and the Medical Royal Colleges in the UK in 2015, when I realized that we had an over-medicated population and the medical profession themselves needed to do something about it. Um, and I wrote a paper, co-authored it with some of the top doctors in the UK in the BMJ, uh, and it was basically the Medical Royal Colleges campaign to wind back the harms of too much medicine. And part of that recommendation, Tucker, was actually helping, you know, through medical school to teach for the doctors to learn how to critically appraise data, yes. but also even the stuff I told you about statins. Most doctors don't have conversations with patients that way about the 1%, but actually it's already there established in the literature that when you practice ethical evidence, in, you must use transparent communication and yes. benefit yes. and through informed consent, because if you don't do that, you're not going to get the best outcomes for patients. And of course, for me, I'm a very strong proponent of individual preferences and values. Of course, one patient might come to me and say, take a pill on that data and the other person may say something different and you support them in that decision making process we've lost that completely throughout the pandemic and it's time to reform the system and ethical i mean look ethical medicine from an outsider's perspective requires informed consent it can't you can't have ethical medicine without that correct absolutely but that whole concept seemed to evaporate completely completely what so the hell so
I think it's obvious that we need to rebuild the system. We have a broken system. Money, financial interests, huge corporations have infected everything and we're too centralized and we need to become more decentralized again. That's what's happening. Let me get back to what, what uh, they were saying though. ...or unconsciously is engaging in medical practice that is final rather than putting the patient interest first. The UK, one of the reasons I'm a very strong proponent of the National Health Service is we know that quality of care, if it's done properly and ethically, I never had to think about uh, a financial incentive when I was managing a patient. I said, what is the best course of action for this patient? I know in the US it's different. And it's very interesting. The US spends um, $3.5 trillion, you know, 18% of its GDP on healthcare, but has one of the worst health outcomes in the, in the Western world in terms of their population. In the, and one of the reasons for that, there's a very clear, there's a great graph. Um, there in states throughout the United States where there is more healthcare spending, right? There's an inv it's inversely proportional to quality of care and patient outcomes. So what I'm saying is, and I, I'm, I'm going to write in. Why you, is that? You can improve quality by reducing cost just by informed consent. And the reason for that is when you look at data and information where doctors and patients where the information is given to them in the way I described, for example, with statins, most people, most patients decide to go conservative. They'll have less surgery and they'll take less drugs. And when you look at the outcomes, they're no worse. If anything, they're better and the patients are more empowered. The drug thing, one of the reasons I was not surprised by the medical community's response to the vax is that it was consistent with what I have seen over the past 20 years, which is a big change, where doctors will like prescribe any drug that you ask for, basically. There's a lot of drug prescribing going on in this country. It's very obvious that the data illustrate how widespread it is. What is that? Yeah, I think it's, um, I call it a pandemic of misinformed doctors and misinformed and unwittingly harmed patients. Pandemics. It's like pandemics happen all the time. The fact that the mainstream media and just certain outlets have literally made pandemic normal language in your life, like pandemics. I mean, in this case, you know, he's kind of being funny, but it's true, which is like, oh, you know, we need to prepare for the next pandemic. You know, this pandemic, pandemic. There was like one pandemic in the past hundred years. Now that it happens all the time between 2020 and 2030, like you got to think twice. They normalize pandemic. We are the frog. We're the little frog in the, uh, on the stove or whatever. And we get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And then we die as opposed to it being really hot. And we jump in and we jump out. They are heating everything up so slowly they've normalized. Think about how insane that is. They have normalized the word pandemic. Like they happen all the time. Like we are not prepared for the next pandemic. What? What? That's insane. That's insane. There's powerful forces at play here. Right. So the clinical decision making that doctors are using is essentially being influenced in a negative way by a number of factors, right? So we've talked about them, but I'll just go through them again. Biased funding of research. Research that's funded because it's likely to be profitable, not beneficial for patients. Biased reporting in medical journals. Biased reporting in the media. Biased patient power. Uh, defensive medicine. Commercial conflicts of interest. Right. And last but not least, an inability to understand and communicate health statistics. So it may, it's not rocket science, you know, breaking down information in a way that patients can understand. But what happens is doctors make decisions in a very black and white fashion. They read a medical journal. They look at the conclusions. This drug's beneficial. Okay, take this pill. Take the statin pill. Actually, the reality is it's probably most likely not going to save your life. 
but you have to tell patients that it's a 1% benefit, right? And that doesn't happen. So we need to completely transform the way we practice medicine. And again, Tucker, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the other side of it is all the lifestyle diseases that we haven't dealt with, right? So you look at obesity, even with COVID, 90% of the deaths globally happened in countries where more than half the population were overweight or obese. But did any powerful person, Fauci or whatever country you're watching this from, whoever was the health minister, did they did they get on a mic and go, <clears throat> we have a pandemic of obesity, especially in the U.S. We suggest that you get enough vitamin D. And if you are not in the sun, you should take a supplement for vitamin D. Um, you should move, you know, like your leg over your leg. We call that walking. Right. And stop being sedentary and just sitting on a couch, eating Lay's potato chips and playing video games. Um, we suggest you interact with humans because that's very important for our species. We are a social species. We need to interact to be happy. Um, and don't stay in a dark hole and, uh, not exercise and, you know, eat fac factory grade food. Nobody said that. All they said was one thing. Vax, 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 vax. What booster are we in now? Vax, vax, vax. I don't know. The ninth booster or something. Like, I don't know. We're who knows? We're on the booster of booster of booster of boosters. It's like saying your great grandfather, grandfather, grandfather. Now it's like, are you on your booster, 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 booster? It's insane. We see it in the UK. We had 175,000 deaths. Only 10% of those deaths were purely because of COVID. People had all these other chronic conditions. Is that why Africa dodged death rates it's very interesting yeah i i may well be maybe a big factor but so if we get people's lifestyles better tucker we would never have, if, if, if in fact if we sorted it out yeah when we knew there was a big problem and a lot of this is about food industry and food so what he said there about africa is it, it's getting mainstream headlines which is like um covid totally disappeared from uh from africa and even though they only had like a six percent um vaccination rate leaving my favorite part doctors baffled Doctors are baffled how it disappeared. Baffled. So what happened there? They didn't have a bunch of mRNA. We did. We're still having a lot of cases. They don't. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what's causing. I'm just saying, should we look into the data and figure out the answer? I think it requires a investigation. Isn't that fair? Fiction and engineering foods that are going to be oh, yes. hyper palatable and all the marketing that goes with it. One of the ways I look at, for example, the, the, in a very simple terms, a very a good kind of low-hanging fruit, I tell my patients, avoid the calories in the U.S. diet come from ultra-processed foods. What does that mean? Industrial, industrially produced products, packaged foods, very simple definition. If it has five or more ingredients, if you can read five or more ingredients on the packet, it's ultra-processed, don't eat it. What's happened is these combination of ingredients, the sugars, the refined carbs, some of these unhealthy oils, they're combined together to be made hyper-palatable, probably addictive to some degree, right? Oh, so and addictions are. are opposite. Of course they will, are, right? yes. And then it drives over consumption. So how, wh where can we learn from history about how we tackle that? America, the United States, was one of the pioneers in the world of tobacco control, right? Um, I remember coming over to visit my cousins in California in the 80s, and we, you know, you had public smoking bans before we had them in the UK, right? It, it, many years later we had. And when you look at the, from a cardiologist's perspective, many people may, may not be aware of this, 50% of the decline in death rates from heart disease since the 70s and 80s happened purely because of reduction in consumption of cigarettes, okay? But how did that happen from regulations 
introduced to protect their citizens, right? It wasn't, I'm not for banning things because that doesn't work, right? You know what happened with prohibition and alcohol in America. That well, is- it did work. It, it drops cirrhosis <laughs> rates dramatically. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, well, it did dramatically okay. and drunk driving. But, but, but whatever, it's, but, it's yeah. a trade-off. But, but basically, it's, you know, we call it the three A's in public health, right? You acceptability, the affordability, and the availability of these unhealthy products, essentially, right? So it was taxation of cigarettes had the biggest impact in reducing. So we raise the price. Public smoking bans, for example, banning of tobacco advertising doesn't happen now. If we apply the same principles. Well, too bad that doesn't apply to the VAX because the higher they made the price, the more mandated it is for people in America. They mandated it for children so more people have to take it. And then they skyrocketed the price like 1200 percent. So that strategy doesn't work so well with the VAX. To ultra processed foods, Tucker, I promise you. We would see because dietary changes have a very rapid effect on people's health markers. I manage patients like this all the time. People reverse their heart disease risk factors within just a few weeks of literally changing their diet, eating real food, food that they can enjoy, but cutting out the sugars and the ultra processed stuff. We would see on a population level, the obesity rates decline within a few years. So, so that I guess. So, it- yeah, but they don't talk to you about that because if they really cared about you, that's the stuff they would talk about is what is fundamental, the root of why you're unhealthy and how you could feel better. It wasn't. There was money behind this. One treatment, only one thing that can work. Jab, 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 jab. I mean, it's crazy. It's just bonkers. We never treat anything like this. It's crazy. Last part I want to share is this article here. And I think we need a study on this long COVID situation on how many people are who have long COVID are vaxxed and not vaxxed. Very important because the headline on CNBC is long COVID may be the next public health disaster with a 3.7 trillion economic impact rivaling the Great Recession. Long COVID is a chronic illness. Uh, now, it says in the CNBC it's from a COVID-19 infection. But before I get to that. Uh, one of their bullet points is long COVID has affected as many 20, as many as 23 million Americans. It may cost the U.S. economy 3.7 trillion, roughly that of the Great Recession, according to one estimate. But what the problem is, is that the third paragraph says, despite being up to date with vaccines and boosters, Norpel 48 got COVID-19 in December 2021 when the highly transmissible Omicron variant was fueling. She never got better and in fact feels worse with a range of debilitating symptoms that make it impossible to work. And as you see, we're missing a lot of people in the workforce. I put out a podcast forever ago, months ago, about uh, my hypothesis is that vaccine injuries and perhaps some vaccine deaths is, is why we have such a shortage um, in jobs or people filling the jobs. And today the jobs report came out and uh, it showed that we are about a million jobs away of people filling jobs. We are missing a million people in the services and like tourism industry from pre-pandemic so the level pre-covid-19 okay so at the beginning of 2019 and you compare that to the jobs being filled right now there are a there's a gap of a million people missing from that industry where are they why they got not come back and now they're starting to pre-program oh this long covid next health disaster uh you know 3.7 trillion you have uh someone at this uh, the equivalent of a ted talk in china saying how the you know we we back our you know our extreme zero covid policy because the united states the way they handle it their their workforce will be decimated by 2030 like what what do you mean like most of the population is vaccinated and everything's fine what do they know what do you mean we're going to be decimated what maybe he doesn't know anything i don't know but he said that in a ted talk like we're going to be fine but the us will have no workforce will be decimated as we said by 2030 and now we got CNBC coming out saying that's going to be a threat, $3.7 trillion economic impact of this long COVID. But I want to know, 
how many people have this long COVID or this potential 23 million people or perhaps more? I want to know how many of them are jabbed and not jabbed. I just want to see a study about that. When are we going to get that? And maybe it comes out to be that the people who are not jabbed equally uh, have long COVID. I don't know. But let's get that information. Let's start separating the two. Okay, not comparing people who have two shots or a booster compared to two boosters and see the difference. No, I want to know none to some. They don't do those studies for some reason. Very, very weird. So, yeah, they're saying that uh, this is going to be a financial catastrophe and our, our economy is on the brink. Everything's terrible. But it says Norpel is one of millions of Americans with long COVID, also known as long haul COVID, post COVID, post acute COVID. Up to 30% of Americans who got COVID-19 have developed long haul symptoms affecting as many as 23 million Americans. But I want to know. I, I, my hypothesis is that the workforce is decimated from this whole rollout, but I could be wrong, but I just want to have studies on it. That's all. I just want to see the data so we can find out the truth. I'm on the search for the truth, the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us. God. That's it. That's it. All right, everybody go to patreon.com forward slash ownership economy to make a donation. Go to twitter.com forward slash Kogs K O G Z. I post these all live on Twitter now. Because I'm telling you that creator monetization from, from Elon Musk, it's going to happen. Uh, Rumble ownership economy channel. Uh, this won't be on YouTube. I stopped it halfway and deleted it because it would get censored. No doubt about it. But please subscribe to the Jonathan Kogan show wherever you get your podcast. I hope we clear things up in the first segment. I hope we make things very clear about this amazing interview in the second segment. And I hope we keep this baby going. We got like 127 episodes. It's absolutely bonkers. Who would have thought? But the magic number is 1000 episodes. Or let's just, no, let's say 150 and then we'll get to a thousand. All right, everybody have an amazing day an amazing night an amazing afternoon, wherever you are. I love you. You're an amazing person. I hope you're an amazing person. If you listen to this podcast, you probably are an amazing person. God bless. Stay free. And I will see you tomorrow. Bye.